Welcome to our podcast, friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you like our podcast and want to support us, please subscribe or follow us. And please don't forget to click the notification bell so you will be notified when new episodes release. Thank you, and God bless. And right on cue, Bertha's here. Bertha. Okay, as long as you're quiet, that's fine. Okay, you can't... Oh, why? why? Nothing is Nothing is trying to work right today. Meow, Bertha, go. Okay, scoop. All right. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me and my friend, the Friar Father, Stephen Sanchez, a Discalced Carmelite priest, and Bertha. So apologize if you hear Bertha. Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon. Uh, we are having the best time ever uh Technology-wise, all the gerbils, everything that powers the internet is tired <laughs> at the monastery. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, we apologize if um, if we're a little, I don't know, I don't even know how to say it at this point, if we talk over each other, if we interrupt each other a bunch. So... Uh, yeah, it's today. taken us 30 minutes just to get to this point. <laughs> it literally has. <laughs> oh. Okay, so today we're doing something a little bit uh, different than what we normally do in so much as most of the information that is going to be leading our conversation today has been put together by myself and uh, it is on the topic of angels. Angels. Um, I scoured every source that I had available to me to try and figure out, because I don't know anything about angels. Um, and Father, I guess on a scale of 1 to 10, how much angel knowledge do you have? Angel knowledge? Uh, yeah. Zero. I I do not have I do not have the knowledge of angels. I have human knowledge. Ha. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, it's going to be one of those days. All right. So, um this request is coming in um has been made by my darling wife. She wants to know all of the things in the world and why they're purple and so Regarding angels, we're going to take a crack at it and see what we can find out and what we can put together. So I'm going to kind of lead it, Father. Um, interject. Give me give me human knowledge where, <laughs> where appropriate. Uh, Proceed. Proceed. Yeah. Uh, enlighten so, me. Yeah. First, The first place I went was the catechism because I figured if you're going to go get official teaching, you should go to the catechism, right? So starting with uh, paragraph 329 and then 330 of the Catechism, uh, it says, St. Augustine says, Angel is the name of their office, not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it is angel. From what they are, spirit, from what they do, angel. Uh, with their whole beings, the angels are servants and messengers of God, because they always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. They are mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. Uh, and then 330, as purely spiritual creatures, angels have intelligence and will. They are personal and immortal creatures, surpassing in perfection all visible creatures as the splendor of their glory bears witness. And then, of course, angel comes from the Greek angelos, I guess, which means messenger. So that kind of falls right in with what Augustine was saying. So 
that's, I mean, there's a little bit more uh, in the catechism about angels, but that's really it. So I, and I thought that was really kind of interesting because angels play a really important role, I guess, scripturally um, throughout salvation history, right? Uh, so a lot of this is going to come from, I guess, what you would call lowercase t tradition, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's a, a little bit of speculation. I don't know. Maybe Father and I will, one of these days, this <laughs> this episode will become will be cited in like the 2090 <laughs> version of the catechism or something like that. No, there's a lot of speculation. All of this is speculation really based on all we have is scripture and tradition. So that's all we have. And so a lot of it is we're talking about non-human spiritual beings. So a lot of it is speculation, right? So, yeah. Uh, so, um, I'm going to make reference to this only so and so much as to say like I'm I'm not really going to be discussing the following kind of things but I just I do want to bring it up because anybody who kind of fancies themselves as an angel aficionado or something is going to probably start making all sorts of connections and references that I don't have the time or or necessarily the desire to to get into but there's a lot of cultures around the Middle East that had um angelic type beings um and their mythologies and things like that and I'm, I'm not going to try and list them all out um but the the two faith traditions which are kind of closest to christianity um were judaism and islam again i'm not going to do any major comparison or anything like that or dive into them but just to kind of get it out there for a frame of reference um in judaism and of course, this doesn't come from Scripture either. This would come from the uh, extra-biblical, um, well, I know they wouldn't call it Bible, but extra-scriptural kind of sources. Um, and like they're, they're kind of uh, rabbinic, or rab- how do you say it? Rabbi- rabbinic. <laughs> culture. Rabbinic. Yeah. Um, so they, they have 10 classifications of angels based on all of their kind of traditions. In Islam was kind of all over the place. So it was anywhere from like seven or eight all the way up to like 14 different classifications. And again, for, for them, just like the, um, the Judas, the Jewish culture and religion, it comes from the Quran and their other cultural literatures. So for Christianity, then, uh, what do we claim to know or, theorized to know about angels the the first i could find outside of scripture is started with a guy called pseudo dionysus or dionysius the or i can never i can't speak greek <laughs> i'm not a greek speaking deacon. <laughs> it's the arapagite there you go that guy i'm gonna call him like pda which is kind of funny because that's like public display of affection too. <laughs> so whatever. So this guy, um, he was a Christian philosopher, theologian. He lived in like the fifth, sixth century, right? So we're thinking like the five, six hundreds. Um, and I don't, I don't remember the exact time he was born and died or when he, he wrote the things that he wrote, but he, he did write a work called um, On the Celestial Hierarchy. So, Father, if you want to take a stab at reading that in Greek in the show notes, you have at it, man. Oh, you go ahead. You're doing well. Go ahead. I'm, oh my I'm, gosh. I'm learning. It's like de, de celesti. Celesti. Hierarchic. Yeah, hierarchia. So, but anyway, it's. Hierarchia. Yeah. Yeah, on the celestial hierarchy. Right. And and from that he he's got his hierarchy of angels that he put together. And of course his source was scripture. That's what he was looking at. Um a long time later, right? Uh Saint Thomas Aquinas, so that's now in the twelve hundreds, I think, right? Twelve hundreds. Um he drew from this Dionysius guy's um writing and other sources. And uh he wrote a treatise a treatise on angelology, 
called De Substantius Separatis. Um, he also d- talks about angels a lot in the Summa Theologica, which that's where I got most of or was able to read a lot of what he wrote. And I, I actually found it to be kind of interesting. So I do want to go over that quickly before we kind of jump back into uh, the PDA guys kind of um, hierarchy. So anyway, uh, Thomas Aquinas, he says, angels were created instantly in a state of grace by God in heaven when he created the physical world. They are pure spirit with no bodies, which means that their knowledge is intellectual and it's built up, it's, it's not built up through senses and experiences over time like where you and I would because they don't have these physical bodies to understand what something smells like or something tastes like. So it's just pure intellect is where their knowledge comes from. Um, they have all the knowledge that they would ever have at the moment of their creation. So, and I, I thought this was really kind of interesting too. So that means if they're created with all knowledge, they attain to the truth of a thing just instantly at a single glance without the need of reasoning. So it's like knowledge and experience are kind of separate things. So they could, here's kind of an illustration. So somebody, oh, I just kicked the microphone. Sorry about that. So somebody who's uh, born and lived only in Africa, like somewhere really hot in Africa, like the Savannah, like they wouldn't know what snow or ice was and, and like they wouldn't even be able to comprehend it, right? Um, they wouldn't be able to, to understand that it's actually the same thing as water even until either they experienced it or someone would explain it to them, right? An angel, though, who had never experienced, I guess, ice or snow before, like when they see it for the first time or engage with it for the first time, would just instantly know what it is. So that's kind of how I interpreted what he was trying to get at, um, I don't know. It's it's because they like they're they're made with all the knowledge that they that they could have, right? It was it was kind of weird. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Does that kind of make sense to you, or is that like do you interpret? Oh yeah, that I mean that, that's again we're talking we're we're talking. <laughs> yeah, this is speculation. This is so we're speculating. So the thing is, if they are perfect creatures, they were created perfectly. They have perfect knowledge. They have perfect. And since they're they're, uh, pure spirit, they have intellect and will, so their intellect is complete and full, right? And the fact that they are somehow in the higher order of physical material uh, reality, because they are of a higher order, they would know the lower order by the fact that God somehow allows them that knowledge right so yeah the, everything comes from god right yeah so they receive everything from god their, their knowledge comes from god so all their intellect and everything they need to know comes from god the, the center of, of all things right so that's part of their intellectual knowledge right yeah so it's like so again if if they had never i don't know it's such a weird thing to say if they had never engaged with an ice cube they know what it is already Right, even though they've never talked about an ice cube before or seen an ice cube before or anything like like they just know what it is because they have all that knowledge from God. Um, but there's a there's an important thing here, and it and it this distinction I think comes from the fact that they get their knowledge from God is that they're not omniscient, right? They they don't Correct. they can't read. They're thoughts. not all knowing, right? Yeah, they don't know what's going to happen the way that you or that God knows all of everything. So, and that's that kind of stuff will also play a role in later when we start talking about fallen angels, right? Yes. Uh, let's see. Okay, so again, Thomas Aquinas he describes them. They're the creatures closest to God in that they're pure form without matter. They are act and potency without form or being. So in comparison, humans, we would be form, we would be being, 
we would be act and potency. So act meaning like the actualization of something, potency meaning the potential Mm -hmm. for something. Mm -hmm. We're being, because we exist, um, and we have form, whereas the angels don't have the form part, right? Because they're purely spiritual. There's nothing material. So we probably butcher that. Some poor angelologist out there is listening to this going, oh my gosh, these guys. <laughs> well, the thing, the, the thing about form would be like this, for example. Okay. What makes us human beings is our soul. Our soul is our form, right? And that makes us human, right? So the difference between you and me the physical difference, the ethnic difference, the all those cultural differences, those those are what they call accidentals. But in our form, we're we're humans. That's what makes us okay. When it comes to angels, each angel is a different species. They're not. It's like you and me are human, right? When we were talking about the spiritual beings that we call angels, they each one is a different entity. Each single one is different from the other. It's like, for example, we would say there's a German Shepherd or a St. Bernard and a Chihuahua. Okay, they're both dogs. Totally different, but they're both dogs. When it comes to these spiritual beings, they are totally different. They'd be like, okay, this one is, okay, so that's a dog, that's a zebra, that's a giraffe. I mean, they're, they're totally different, right? So each one is completely different from the other. That's one of the things that that Thomas talks about, right? And again, and that's speculation. Yeah, and and, the, and I guess also probably to the the layperson like myself and anybody listening is what makes it confusing is that we always refer to them by angels or as angels, but yes. as yes. Augustine said, that's that's not what they are. That's what they're doing, right? That's their office. What's what they That's do? Their action, right? Yes. Oh, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> for through that, um, and this is kind of fun because this is kind of, it's this is kind of out there for us and things to talk about. Um, all right. So Christianity now, based off the writings of, uh, the PDA guy. We've got three spheres of angels or orders of angels. Um, I'm sorry, there's three spheres of angels. I like the language that they use, but it's kind of confusing because it's it's very um, it's musical. It's and it's uh, it's not the way you would describe anything else. So there's three spheres of angels, and each sphere is made up of three choirs of angels. Okay, so the highest order the highest sphere of angel is made up of the seraphim the cherubim and thrones so this seraphim is a choir of angel right or an order of angel well we say angel again spiritual being an order of spiritual beings yes yeah (laughs) gosh this is gonna be hard the middle sphere is made up of dominions, virtues, and powers. And the lowest sphere, if you can even call them lowest, because, I mean, they're, as, as, it's, as I read it, they're infinitely higher than we are anyway, right? Um, are principalities, archangels, and just what they call angels, which our guardian angels would fall into this, uh, this choir. So... That's nine. That's the nine in Christianity. Um, okay. Something there is, that is, there's a distinction also. The fact oh, yeah? is that Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, right? Uh, they're called archangels, but they do not belong to the lower order of the hierarchy they are called archangels because of the special mission they have so we call them archangels which is the same name that is given to the lowest order of choir of spiritual beings 
but they don't belong to that choir. They're, they're different. So that that's also very confusing. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, that's, that was <laughs> the, one of the weird things. So like in Christianity, we Archangel is second lowest, but in like Judaism, it's the topmost. Right, and so in Christianity, we're like, okay, well, these guys are the archangels, and they're up at the top, but they're not archangels who are at the bottom. So, ugh. anyway, so yeah, seraphim, cherubim, that's pretty familiar uh, nomenclature, right? People, if if you've been paying any kind of attention to your Bible, you've probably heard those terms before. Uh, Principal, uh, well, and angels, archangels, you've probably heard before. The rest of them, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, you've probably heard them, but they're always they're always like mixed into some prayer somewhere. And so um and all of those words have their own meaning, at least like in English, right, which is my native language. So they have different meanings, which will come I think will come to to illustrate that there's a there is a tie-in here with the way that they are described. So, and we'll get, we'll get to that. Um, all right. So seraphim, we'll start with seraphim, which is the singular seraph, plural seraphim. Uh, this is an interesting one because it's the same word that's used to mean serpent or burning. And, um, I just think, I find it interesting that seraphim as a serpent, right? It's a serpent in the garden, things like that. Um, this, the the columns, uh, the, they use the word seraph in the Exodus, yeah, because yep. the bite of the the bite of the serpent burns. <laughs> yeah, the hurts. bite of the serpent was was burning. Right, it was it was a fiery burn or fiery bite. So that's what they call them, seraph serpents. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, <sighs> okay. Seraphim, sorry, Bertha walked by and moved my mouse, and now I have to scroll back up on my notes. Okay, so the the we have a, again, we got a lot of scripture to kind of reference what in the world is this seraph. So Isaiah chapter six verses two through three. This is in the heavenly temple throne room of God. It says seraphim were stationed there. Or sorry, were stationed above. Each one of them had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they hovered. And one cried out to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is filled with his glory. So we've got lots and lots of imagery, right? The the seraphim, they're glorifying God. Um also in in these scripture passages, like the temple of God, it shook at the sound of their voice. The room, it filled up with smoke, which makes me think of like incense and the prayers of the faithful, you know, going up to God. Um, and then later in that one, one of the seraphs, it takes the burning ember. So now we got that burning kind of imagery again and, and it uh, with tongs, right? And it touches it to Isaiah's lips and it purifies him. And so... I just think that's it, it's really interesting to see how they're described here because they're described later in Revelation um, chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 and again we're we're in the heavenly throne room of God right the heavenly temple it says in the center around the throne there were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in the back and the first creature resembled a lion and the second was like a calf the third had a face of that of a human being, and the fourth looked like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were covered with eyes inside and out. Day and night, they do not stop exclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So, uh it's just weird stuff, right? It's very, like immediately it makes me think this is very symbolic and very metaphorical. Um, they're trying to communicate something, the the scripture authors, that is not comprehensible by us. 
humans, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, the PDA guy he wrote on Seraphim, he says the name Seraphim clearly indicates their ceaseless and eternal revolution about the divine principles. In their heat and keenness, the exuberance of their intense, perpetual, tireless activity, and their elevative and energetic assimilation of those below, kindling them and firing them to their own heat, and wholly purifying them by a burning and all-consuming flame, and by the unhidden, unquenchable, unchangeless, radiant, and lightning power, dispelling and destroying the shadows of darkness. So... Thomas Aquinas, moving to the, the the cherubim now, the next sphere down, he says that they're characterized by knowledge in contrast to the seraphim, who are characterized by their burning love for God. Um, something interesting happens here in, or happens regarding the cherubim in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 1, anybody who just wants a good read, go read Ezekiel chapter 1. Um, I've got verses 5 through 11 here, but the whole of chapter 1 is literally describing this incomprehensible, you know, experience of being in heaven with these spiritual beings. So it starts, well, I'm going to start, verse 5 says, from within, um, well, and again, he's the, the visions of heaven, right, of the throne room kind of thing. From within it, figures in the likeness of four living creatures appeared. This is what they looked like. They were in human form, but each had four faces and four wings, and their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet like the hooves of a bull, gleaming in polished brass. Human hands were under their wings, and the wings of one touched those of another. Their faces and their wings looked out on all their four sides. They did not turn when they moved, but each went straight ahead. Their faces were like this. Each of the four had a human face, and on the right, the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox, and each had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above, and on each one, two wings touched one another, and the other two wings covered the body. Finally, way later, um, Ezekiel chapter 10, he finally calls him cherub um, or cherubim in plural. And I just thought it was really interesting because they have a lot of the characteristics of the seraphim, right? Like the kind of animal features. They're trying to describe something that's indescribable. And these things are the closest, um, you know, spiritual beings to God. So I think that will play kind of an important part. Uh, especially as we start comparing these higher choirs to the lower choirs. Um, Isaiah, he he does say God is enthroned above the cherubim. Um, And in Exodus, right, the Ark of the Covenant um, has the cherubim adorning the mercy seat. Uh, And then Solomon's temple had cherubim. So we start to see a lot of these cherubim are somehow related to God his presence, his throne room. But when we've moved from the seraphim to the cherubim, the cherubim, again, now they're tied more so to the throne, right? The next sphere down is actually called thrones. So we're starting to move from something that's symbolic in a spiritual sense toward God towards something, it's starting to become more concrete and human in understanding, right? Like, I, because I don't, I don't know if God really has a throne somewhere, right? Or if it's more sim- symbolism for his authority and kingship and power over the universe, right? Remember that you have a human person who has a religious experience under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and what impresses itself upon his imagination, the way he, the way he can perceive these spiritual beings, this is what comes forth, right? The total otherness of it, right? The total otherness of the spiritual being. Now, 
do the spiritual beings have eyes all over their wings? Like, no, because they don't have wings. They're spiritual beings. But the way that the person, the impression that the person has in terms of their experience, this is the way it comes across to them. And it it comes across to what is wings is about flight or travel. Eyes is about knowledge. They have all knowledge. They see all things or whatever. All those are, again, as you said earlier, it's all very symbolic, right? So don't don't try to imagine that these angelic or these spiritual beings, I shouldn't say angels, yeah, these spiritual <laughs> beings, uh, they don't have material, physical bodies. They, they, they don't have wings, but this is the way it manifests. This is a way that this person, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in his experience of God, this is the impression that they have. This is this is the way that they really experienced this spiritual being, but it doesn't mean that that's the way the spiritual being is. Um, did you ever, okay, TV show here, uh, <laughs> science fiction. Did you ever watch Babylon 5? Yes, like back in the nineties, or it's it's been a you few watch years. Babylon 5? <laughs> yeah, I it's don't been know decades. how much I remember yes. about. Yes, yes, I remember the it's, show. <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great story. I uh, highly I suggest it. Of course, nowadays nobody would like the special effects and everything, but <laughs> because it's too hokey. But it's a great storyline. The great it's a great arc storyline is about the battle of good and evil in in the cosmos and everything. Anyway, the reason to bring it up is the Vorlon. Ambassador. So Babylon 5 is this space uh, ship out, and it's the last one of these outposts. And this is where ambassadors from all over the universe have sent people, right? They have ambassadors of all these different creatures, right, are there, right? And the Vorlon, the Vorlon, no one knows what a Vorlon looks like because a Vorlon is always in what they call the encounter suit. Mm. Nobody knows what they look like. This is the only way they manifest themselves. This is the only way that they speak with others is through this suit of in, this encounter suit. But that's not what they look like. Yeah. The reason I bring that up because there's something very there's something very much angelic there too mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the spiritual beings and we talk about angels, this is this is how we encounter them. This is our experience of them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they are or how they look. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, man. I have to go back and watch that now because now I'm I'm super curious because that's exactly what's going to end up happening, especially as we move through the lo- the middle and the lower choirs too right so like thrones the next one down it's it's like a super weird one too it's like wheels burning wheels covered in eyeballs (laughs) right and they seem to like move the cherubim which are holding up the throne of god right like the kind of like the mercy seat where where god would come in the tabernacle um so the, the almost mechanical, right, or robotic in that they're serving a function only kind of thing. Um, Ezekiel one eighteen, he says, four of them had rims high and fearsome eyes filled the four rims all around. Uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 7, it, when he's describing God's throne, it says his throne was like the fiery flame and it's his wheels as burning fire. So... Um, and then a- after that, they start getting mentioned later in like Colossians and Peter uh, with thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, and all things were created through Jesus, for Jesus, right? Um, and so we're starting to see this pattern emerge in f- with the scriptural authors, right? As they write about the spiritual realm, the closer the angels are to God or the spiritual beings are to God, they have these very symbolic qualities like fire, chanting eyes right for like uh, they they can see the different faces wings for flight movement their creature their human their function their you know entity they're all these different things and as we start moving down towards 
human reality, the physical realm, they start to remember or resemble human traits and hierarchies. Um, and so most of the material, this is, I, I thought this was kind of neat too. So I'd, I'd really be curious where, um, where all of this, this source material comes from, but most of the source material that describes, uh, the thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, um, and principalities are not scriptural. They're correct. Little T tradition, right? So I'm kind of, I'm going to kind of breeze through those because, um, I think it'll just, it'll kind of paint a picture of like what I'm getting at has, as you move down, how it becomes more concrete in a human understanding of a human concept. So like dominions, um, it, uh, the, the word that's used for them is also translated as lordships. And so it, they're described as angelic nobility, right? So they're appropriately though, appropriately their angelic nobility is beneath God's throne right? Because God's throne is up with the seraphim and the cherubim. Uh, so God is still higher than nobility. Maybe an interesting concept back in the, the early days, right? Uh, virtues, they assist with miracles. They're like the actualizers for God. They encourage humans and strengthen their faith in God, right? You want to be virtuous. Powers, uh, they have power over evil forces and they can potentially restrain evil forces from doing harm. Uh, principalities, they're the angels that uh, guide and protect nations or groups of people like the church, right? So that they can work toward fulfillment of God's uh, divine ministry. So a lot of those things start, uh, to me, I start going, okay, so this guy back in the fifth century when, you know, he's trying to make sense of the spiritual realm especially regarding hierarchy because hierarchy is a really important role in his culture and Greek culture and other cultures around the world, right? You've got kings, you're getting nobility, uh, all these kind of ways that society keeps together, right? And it only makes sense that the spiritual realm would have the same kind of structure as uh, kind of a mirror to the, the, the material human realm, right? And, and the church even has a hierarchy, if you think about it, right? Christ is the head, and then you have the episcopate, the bishops, and you have like the presbyter, uh, presbyters, right? And the deacons, right? So there's a hierarchy here. So why wouldn't there be a hierarchy in the heavenly realm as well? So like, I think that is kind of what's going on as he's trying to puzzle his way through this. Um, and then Thomas Aquinas, I think, just, you know, he's a good Catholic guy, so he's going to look for the best source material he's got. So he's going to find this this document, that, that PDA uh, he wrote. And so I think, ultimately, while he draws from that, I think Thomas's, um, his thoughts are more interesting because, you know, he's concerning himself with the nature of what the angel is more so than thinking about hierarchically kind of what it is. So anyway, so that this leaves us down with the last two, right? The the bottom two, quote-unquote, choirs of uh, spiritual beings, the archangels and the angels. Um, and so this is where we have the most interactions with humans um, scripturally, and I would guess in reality now uh, in the age of the church and please feel free to jump in here if I, if I say any of part of this kind of stuff wrong. Um, but like the, there's, we've got three named archangels in the Christian, the Catholic Christian tradition. That's kind of an interesting thing. So we've got Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, like you're saying, um, if you're a Protestant listener or non-Catholic Christian listener, Raphael might, he might surprise you because he's in the book of Tobit. Um, which is, it's not in it, uh, the, the Protestant Bible, but in Tobit ta chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 15, he even says, he goes, I am Raphael, one of the seven angels who stand and serve before the glory of the Lord. That was really interesting because in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have 
four. And then I think in different um, Christian traditions, they have up to seven, right? Or But then they name them. But I don't know where they get all the names from. So I just thought that was really kind of interesting how... Again, it's it's non-scriptural. That's why in, in the, the catechism it says the only three that are named, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. And I believe it says somewhere else it's really we should refrain from naming them, the other ones, because Scripture does not name them. So we don't need to go making Correct. stuff up. Correct. There's, there's no scriptural basis, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, guardian angels, which are now the the lowest, right? The angel, angel. Um so it says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, chapter or paragraph 336, from its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by their watchful care and intercession. Beside each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd, leading him to life. Already here on earth, the Christian life shares by, the, by faith in the blessed company of angels and men until united with God. I found a really cool article from the National Catholic Register um, with a f- by a father. It was like an interview with Father Serge Thomas Bonino. And I apologize if I said his last name wrong. Sorry, Father. Um, but it was really good. And I guess he's some kind of angel expert. Maybe we should have asked him <laughs> to fill in some of these blanks <laughs> for us. Um, but people were asking him, or the I guess the, the interviewer was asking him about um, angels in the spiritual realm and, and about guardian angels. He goes, you know, they, they want what God wants, our salvation. They're not indifferent kind of executors because everything they do is of the fruit of their own charity toward us. So thus, guardian angels are out of love at the service of human beings to guide them on the path that leads to God. He says, and I thought this was nice too, the, that thinking about the angelic world, it's... Um, and that kind of spiritual existence, it's a good way to kind of fight this underlying materialism that's going around, um, keeping us focused or, or aware that there are realities outside of just uh, the material realities that are all around us. Um, thinking about the, the beauty of the angelic world, it gives us a glimpse into the beauty and greatness of God. And um, equally, and this is something that, you know, if you're, if you if you have much science education, or maybe if you just like sci-fi um, books or stories, like Father does, um, you know it's real easy for us to to kind of be portrayed as as humans as like this upgraded ape, right? Or um, almost robotic. Like, look how complex the human mind is. It's this great machine, right? This great computer. And um, he was saying how he just being aware of the angelic reality is something that helps us to understand that we're body and soul like angels, right? We are body and spiritual beings at the same time. After that, we've got um, fallen angels. We've got demons and Satan. I mean, there's nothing different about them than a normal angel other than they say no to God, right? And they're not redeemable. In their in their no. Right, because even though even though okay, because since they are spiritual creatures and they were born with perfect knowledge, angels were tested as well angels were tested as well as humans were tested, right? Humans were tested in the Garden of Eden and angels were tested as well. We don't know what the cause of the fall was. There's tradition, um, Jewish tradition, Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, speculative, right, speculative thoughts on on what and why. But what we do know is that there was a segment of the spiritual beings who, in their full knowledge, rebelled against God. And because they have full knowledge in their pure spirit and pure intellect, they knew exactly what they were doing, but they chose to rebel anyway. And that is why they are irredeemable. They cannot be saved. That's why these are the fallen 
spirits, the fallen angels. Uh, and when we talk about the development of the idea of hell, uh, Sheol and Gehenna, in Scripture, we're told that hell was created for the fallen angels, right? That is their destiny, right? And so, again, this whole idea. Then, again, we're talking about we're talking about spiritual beings that exist outside of space and time, but we exist in space and time. So it's very difficult to be aware of exactly what it is that we're trying to define when we talk about the fall, the fall of the angels. And somehow the fall of the angels or the fallen, the fallen spiritual beings somehow seduce humanity to disobey as well. And then that's where you have the fall of Adam and Eve, right? The, the seduction, right? So... There's something there about about the how the fallen the fallen spiritual beings somehow, as they rebel, um, that they somehow then seduce humanity to disobey as well. Now, part of the Judeo tradition and part of the Judeo Christian tradition is that. The idea is that God somehow revealed to them our, not just our creation, but that we are made in the image and likeness of God and that they, the angels would have to serve us. And that is a lot of the speculative theology surrounds that, that some of the spiritual beings seeing the human creature and the inferiority of the human creature to the spiritual, pure spiritual intellectual being that they are, that they rebelled, that they would not serve this inferior being. And that is what led to the fall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like, and the, so I, I think the the big, big takeaway regarding falling, regarding fallen angels Right, is that they were created good, right? God didn't create yes. bad things; they were created good. They became evil by their own doing. And that's and that's also straight from the Catechism. Um, and yeah, they're they're in their rebellion. They try and kind of drag humanity down with us, right? And I mean, Satan in the 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 garden, you know, his he's the father of lies, right? And he says, "You will be like gods." Um, yes. So it's just like this kind of, we're going to make sure that you fail kind of thing, right? So I think, and I think something, I've heard all sorts of crazy talk about people saying angel, uh, the devil's not real, right? I don't know how you can believe in God, but not believe in, I don't know, the devil or that evil part of the spiritual realm it's not he is not the evil god right god no, is satan's god right correct so i don't know that that one it, yeah, go ahead satan satan is a creature a spiritual being with pure intellect and the powers of that spiritual being of that high rank, however you want to think about that, right? And because of the intellect, because of the force of the nature that he possesses, that Satan possesses, makes Satan a powerful creature, still a creature. Satan is not an anti-god. Satan is not an evil God. Satan is a creature, and God loves him. God continues to love him. He continues to love his creation, but Satan has rejected that love, and that's part of part of Satan's hell or pain or torment is the fact that God continues to love him, and he continues to reject that. He, Again, 
in free will because he made that choice and there, it's not like he can change his mind. I mean, we, because because <laughs> we're fallen, because we're, we're still struggling, right? We're still in our part of the test. We, you know, are capable of being transformed and converted and saved, whereas they are not uh, the fallen, the fallen spiritual beings. So it's, it gets a little, again, I'm going to talk about speculation, right? The speculative part. And a lot of times it's, Satan is not, we shouldn't think of Satan as like the incarnation of evil. Like, no, Satan is the influencer, right? He can influence, he cannot create things. He's not a, a creator. He, because, and because we have free will, he can tempt us to choose, like he did Adam and Eve, he can tempt us to choose something that is contrary to our own good, to our own will be, our own will being, and therefore contrary to God's desire for us. Yeah, and and again, the none none of the angels are omniscient, right? So they they can't no. read your mind. They don't know what you're thinking, no. but they're nope. really smart. So. Yep. They can, in their lies, they can get you to believe that they know things about you, but they're just able to tell, Correct. right? Because they can, Correct. I don't know, they've got that knowledge. So, and that's, I think, yes. what makes them so, to me, it would make them, I think that would be the thing that makes them the most potentially terrifying to me, is that they would seemingly know me enough to manipulate me right like to be able to yes tell those lies enough to make me feel like i don't have any control over this but i say potential because i know that any one of them the the satan himself is like jesus is his lord and yes they can't do anything unless god allows it and correct like just that the comfort and security in knowing that Jesus is their Lord means that you have nothing to fear as long as you stay in that, that, uh, that trust, that faith. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we got one more thing we've got to talk about regarding angels and this one I'm going to, I'm going to throw to you because, (laughs) because Betty is, she's going, (laughs) She's. I know you can already kind of hear in in your head. Um, she was saying it the other day with like a a, a country accent. She was walking around going, <laughs> try not to laugh. She was going, "Who is the angel of the load? Who's the angel of the load?" And I don't know why she was stuck in a country accent, but and I'm sorry for country people out there. It's just a terrible accent. But the angel of the Lord. What? is extremely fascinating to her. And I agree. I think this is maybe the best one because who is the angel of the Lord, right? Like the angel of the Lord, this totally spiritual, non-material, formless being wrestles with Jacob and hurts the dude's hip. Ow, right? Now I'm going to walk with a limp. And I'm going to change my name to, or my name's going to get changed to Israel, right? So, right. what the heck is the angel of the Lord? Is it God? Is it a personification or a, a, a messenger, an ambassador of Jesus or of the Logos, right? Like, what is it? Well, the one thing that, we have a hard time dealing with in the West and is very was very prevalent and in parts of the East still is prevalent in the idea of a representative of a king or an emperor. Yeah. We've talked about this before a little bit, I think. Yeah. Where like the ambassador, ambassador yeah. we would think, yeah, we would think of an ambassador as like, oh, yeah, he's a diplomat from that country or that state. Like, no. In the East, the ambassador is the person, they represent the person that that they represent. They It is the king that is present to you, right? 
And so the angel of the Lord is a spiritual being who is manifesting the authority, the power of God in that particular moment, right? So, it, and again, it's, it, it's, it's difficult for us to, to, to wrap our heads around this because we're thinking about an individual that has a form and a body. No, no. You need to resist that anthropomorphic temptation to want to define that. Okay, what what if there's what if there's twelve angels of the Lord and each one comes whenever God sends them? Like, hey, dude, it's your turn. You know, I want you to go do this, and they they call that one the angel of the Lord. And but no, I'm the angel of the Lord. No, you're the yes, you are. All of you are angel of the Lord because I say you are. So. I know it's hard to wrap your head around that, but the truth is then that that is the angel of the Lord then is, again, that's his, that spiritual being's office. Mm. That is what, it's his duty. He's performing his duty as willed by God. Now, if it's a manifestation of the logos or of the father or of the spirit, that's another question. But, in 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 the relationship with salvation history in our salvation history then it is it is a manifestation of god okay so for example the burning bush mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the burning bush is it god or is it an angel of the lord that's a question that's not the way to answer that's not the way to ask the question because it's wrong it's not is it an angel of the lord or is it the lord the answer would be yes <laughs> <laughs> who is the angel of the lord who is it yeah and <laughs> can they can you touch this spiritual being right can they move you can they if they allow, if they allow them they, they can they can assume a physical form if they want to because they're pure spiritual beings they can manipulate they can manipulate matter just like the it's the what you call it the meeting suit the the from babylon the 5? encounter suit the encounter suit so it's like their encounter yeah. suit oh that's really interesting because sometimes the encounter suit, like uh, at the tomb, right? When they're like, oh, I th- uh, well, no, Jesus, she thought, Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. Um, yes. Or they're like, yeah, she's like, um, he's like, who are you looking for, right? Or after Jesus' ascension, the, the two guys walk up and they're like, dude, what are, you, what are y'all looking up at the sky for? Like, what are y'all what are looking y'all doing? at? Right? Like sometimes it's very human. Right. And then sometimes right. it's just flat terrifying, Right, the shepherds they like fall on their face. Uh, uh, Moses falls down, you know, and covers his. I, um, who is it? Is it Elijah in the cave? Right, he hears the 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 quiet whisper sound, and he just falls on his yes. face to 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 uh, just out of that fear. Right. Do you have a favorite angel? Mine. <laughs> the one that keeps you out of trouble. <laughs> I feel sorry for him. Uh, so, no, I think probably again the the devotion that the church has, the Catholic Church has to to Saint Michael. There is that idea then uh, of the protector of the community. We are the. He he is the protector of of Israel, the new Israel. He is protector of the church, and so there is that devotion to to Michael the archangel. I love the the imagery used with him too. How it's always when he's um, that painting. I wish I knew. Betty probably knows who painted it, like right off the top of her head. But the one where he's casting Satan out, um, it's like it's effortless. Yes. He's not like battle scarred and all that kind of stuff. Like it was a huge fight. It's just like you're out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, 
Well, thanks for going on this this ride with me. Um, I I hope uh, I hope it was fun for people. It was it was definitely fun. Uh, just doing the research for this, and you know I I know I'm I'm no theologian as for, or angel angelologist, but um, hopefully it was hopefully it angelologist. Was, there you go. Yeah, hopefully y'all could follow along. But it was. I think it's super interesting and whether or not there's actually nine, you know, whatever's of angels or kind of like you're saying, you're all the angel of the Lord whenever I want you to be. And you're all basically the same thing. Who knows? Who knows? But, um, I had a lot of fun doing this and, um, don't forget to say your prayers. Uh, don't fall into the, the lie that Satan doesn't exist. I would definitely say that based off my research. Do not fall into that lie. That's the that's the big takeaway because it's real. Correct. Alright, Father. Well, thanks again. Everyone who joined us, thanks for listening and we will see you next time. God bless. God bless and thank you.